Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Reach out. It could be better than a fantasy. I keep my Welcome into another team preview episode of the Friends with Fantasy Benefits baseball podcast. Uh, joining me today to talk about the Rangers is Chuck Anderson. Chuck, how's it going? It is going well. Uh, happy to be on this uh, on this emergency put together broadcast. Uh, it's a very interesting team. I look forward to talking to you about them. Yeah, it's uh, it was kind of just strung together very quickly, but I'm okay with that. I like talking baseball on the fly. I'm I'm cool with that. So, um, let's dive right in to the to the Rangers in general. The first guy I want to talk about is Joey Gallo. Right now, um, a pretty the highest draft pick among all Rangers, going just inside the top 90. What are your thoughts on Gallo for this season? And are you somebody that's going to be investing? I took a really deep dive on Gallo because he seems to be a very polarizing player. There's a lot of people who uh, who seem to think he's going way too low in ADP, and there's a lot of people who seem reluctant to draft him even where he's going. Uh, the one thing I did notice when I looked is it seemed like uh, you know he was more patient early in the count. His swing percentage went down greatly on the first pitch, and therefore he saw more breaking pitches and he handled them better. Uh, I saw some real growth in those numbers when I looked on Baseball Savant. Uh, his sprint speed is still really good. He's still only 26 years old. Um, I like him, but I feel like he's a guy that other people are going to like even more. Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be charting exactly how long he lasts because if he lasts long enough to fall into his own, I like, then I'll be all about it. Uh, but I don't want to make a huge jump because I don't think this Rangers offense has has changed dramatically. Uh, with this offseason, not nearly as much as the pitching staff. I think he's a bargain where he's going. Obviously, in in OBP formats, he takes a bit a big bump up because he's somebody that has perennially had a high walk percentage. And you know where you're going to get with Joey Gallo. He's going to struggle making contact. And really, last season was just something that was unfortunate because he had hit 40 home runs two straight years, and then he got injured with a strained oblique in 2019. So it kind of derailed his season when you look at it from a broad uh, landscape. But for, for 2020, I think that he's going at a bit of a bargain. Um, coming into drafts last year, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I believe he was a top 50 pick. 
Um, they, uh, I don't know if you remember off the top of your head where he was going, but to me, I, I believe he was a top 50 pick. So I think you're getting about 40 picks of discount because of the fact that he missed some time last year. Yeah, you can bake in that this Rangers offense as a whole isn't necessarily as potent as it's been in years past, but it still has a lot of the same pieces from last year. And, you know, they were fairly serviceable at large. So I'm I'm a fan of Galloway's going, especially if you're going to punt batting average. He's one of the few players in baseball that I think has 50 home run upside. And why not take a gamble of that in the top 90? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of growth in what we saw last year, and he's not that um, he's not that much of an elder statesman. It seems like he's been around a long time because he came up early, um, and he's he's always been this polarizing kind of player. Uh, but if you get that extra comfort of having an OBP league where he's almost certainly not going to hurt you in OBP, um, I think he's he can be a heck of a bargain. I mean, one of the things that happens right now is that generally speaking. NFBC leagues are batting average leagues, so that in and of itself pushes his uh, is going to push his his draft value or his uh, you know his ADP down in and of itself. Uh, but I, you want a player with immense upside. We've always known if everything went right, he could hit 50, 60 home runs. Uh, if you have, if it's the kind of player you need, and you can still get him, you know you can still get him sort of uh, after that 100 range. I mean. There's definitely a ton of uh, potential in this kind of a pick. So I don't have any issues with it whatsoever. I think an OBP should be a top, you know, maybe even borderline 30 pick based on the way he is able to take a walk. And his on-pace percentage doesn't necessarily equate to being a value for you, but it's a lot better than his batting average. So let's move on to somebody that is for sure going to be polarizing, and that is uh, Danny Santana going in the top 125, but he does have eligibility at first base and outfield, at least on NFBC right now. He's slotted in the four hole, according to roster resource. I don't know if that is going to be where he ends up when the uh, season starts, but when you look at his 2019 as a whole, 28 home runs, 21 steals, 81 RBI, 81 runs scored. I mean, just kind of unfathomable from somebody like Danny Santana, just out of nowhere, probably helped win some leagues for multiple people. I will say though, his uh, contact skill or plate skills overall were not much better. Actually, they weren't better at all than any other time in his career. 68% contact, 5% walk rate. I believe in the speed. I think that he's somebody that certainly with playing time will be able to steal bases. And the Rangers were the top stolen base attempts per game team. Last year, they, have multi- they had four or five guys with double-digit steals. I think three of them with 20-plus steals. I mean, I think that they will let him run the bases if, if he gets on base. But my problem is, is that I don't believe in the skills enough for him to be somebody that we can count on week in and week out, especially for an entire season, especially because this came out of nowhere. So I don't know what your thoughts are on Santana, but I just, I, I need to see another couple months of this before I can even like legitimately feel like this is going to be something that's sustainable. We are pretty much exactly on the same uh, page as far as Danny Santana is concerned. He had a 353 BABIP last year, you know, and that 353 BABIP only led to a 324 on base percentage, uh, you know, because he still walked under 5% of the time. You know, in his in his last stints in Major League Baseball, he had a 294 BABIP with the Braves in 2018. He was with two teams in 2017. That was a 244 BABIP. Uh, it doesn't appear like he hits the ball hard enough that he should be a 353 BABIP guy, to say the least. Uh, you know, he still struck out. Actually, you know, he struck out 
at a much higher rate than he has in his last major league stints last year. So there's a, there's definitely some downside here. On the other end of the spectrum, if if you're a believer that first base is uh, an absolute hole right now, a black hole of nothingness, then uh, you, you know if you were going to get 20 steals, if he can just replicate the 20 steals, he's going to give you a distinct advantage uh, over over everything else, uh, you know, over everybody else, generally speaking, at first base. And the 28 home runs, I mean, he had 16 home runs in 2018 at the AAA level, but he didn't even have a home run at the major league level that year. He had four home runs total in 2017. I think out of nowhere is the exact way to put it. Uh, it's so out of nowhere. I think people are really going to have a hard time with it at such an such an older age for this type of hitter as well. I mean, catchers sometimes seem to season and all of a sudden come out of nowhere later in their career. Pretty unusual for a middle infield type to do it. So I, I struggle with uh, Danny Santana where he's going in drafts. Uh, I doubt I'll own very many pieces of him. Maybe if I can get him dirt cheap in an auction, uh, just on the on the upside that perhaps this is real. And uh, if it is, then it'll be a hell of a value going forward. But it's hard to look at the stats in the rearview mirror here and and think that uh, that much of this is real. I mean, uh, you know, he's got a between a 295 and a 300 OBP projected. So that's not the kind of player I usually love to own. So don't get too excited and overdraft him. That's for sure. I think people are going to when you look at Statcast stuff. He he boosted his exit velocity in a small sample in 2018 and then he carried that over into 2019 but his launch angle last year was literally triple what it was three years ago with in which i mean i understand that based on the fact that he hit the home run 28 home runs and everything but plate skills still matter here i think the i don't like to turn to babip all the time but i think that BABIP is going to matter, especially when you tie that into plate skills. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned his hard hit rate. He did have a career high 43.6% hard hit rate last year, which was in the 78th percentile among all major leaguers. I, I get it. Like when you look at the season at large, like he certainly performed, and a lot of metrics will point to it being something that could possibly be sustainable. But I still go right back to the plate skills piece. And if he doesn't get on base enough, then he's not going to be able to steal as much. And I don't necessarily believe that they will keep him from playing or keep him playing every single time. If he ends up messing up and having, you know, a bad two month stretch, he is certainly liable to be somebody that's either sent down or released or whatever. Like I, I just, for the fancy game, I understand it. And I understand taking him in the you know top 150 area because of the stolen base and power combo. I just, I need to see it a little bit longer and I need to see a, a little bit longer track record of these plate skill changes, not plate skill changes, but the the barrel changes and the launch angle, um, just because I just don't, I don't know if this is going to be something that can last. Um, so yeah, that's about, that's my stance on Santana. Don't pay for him where he is. And I would say be, I would be okay with him shocking me again this year versus me paying for him in the top 150 and him disappointing. Yeah, that's uh, certainly understandable. I mean, basically their backup center fielder is Joey Gallo, uh, and their outfield depth is not exactly what it used to be, although Shinsu Chu still playing over 80 games in the outfield last year, um, as long as he recovers from this little minor shoulder surgery he had this offseason. I mean, perhaps there's enough there that uh, they could nudge him out of the lineup, uh, but they don't really have somebody jumping off the page as a 
as a DH in waiting either. So uh, maybe is you know maybe gets a little longer leash than he would on on certain teams. Uh, you know Todd Frazier's not a picture of health either who they picked up. So there's some variables floating around here that that could help him out. Uh, but like I said, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't overdraft him. I, I want to see some more, especially this uh, this sort of renaissance at the end of a guy's career as Major League Driftwood seems a little hard to buy into. Jose Bautista had kind of a late career resurgence, I suppose. Yeah, a bit a bit different of a body type, though. <laughs> obviously, obviously. I, I'm looking at the Rangers 40 man right now, and the only active outfielders that they have on the 40 man is Willie Calhoun, Shinsu Chu, Joey Gallo, Adolis Garcia, who I believe was with the Braves before, and uh, Scott Heineman and Leo DiSavera. So my argument that they might not stick with Santana probably is untrue because he has versatility and because he probably just is needed <laughs> for that team. So I, I guess his playing time is probably fairly safe. But with that said, I still want to bank on the skills versus uh, having taking a risk and taking him in the top 150 when there's other guys around him that I think are just as good of, of options or better um, based on what I've seen. So um, I think we've talked long enough about Danny Santana. I, I mean, you're going to be foregoing guys like Ahmed Rosario, um, Elvis Andrews, who we're about to talk about in a second, Miguel Sano, Michael Conforto, Reese Hoskins. Like those are all guys around Danny Santana and just some of them I feel a little bit better about. I am not going to forego any of those guys for Danny Santana. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Elvis Andrews. He pretty much is what he is at this point. I'm not saying that that's not exciting. Um, somebody that has a very high stolen base floor, somebody that we've been able to count on in fantasy for a number of years now. I don't know if you have any different takes on Andrews for this season. He's going just about in the same spot as Santana in the top like 125 area. This is going to be his age 31 season, probably going to get you double digit home runs and 20 to 30 stolen bases. Um, I, I just don't have a lot to add. I think that he's a solid fantasy source. Is it going to do something that's going to make him you know, a third rounder or something next year, but he's also, in my opinion, not going to slip unless he gets injured. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty solid middle infield type uh, free to have on your team. I think shortstop is so strong that it, you're going to have a hard time getting out of the first four or five rounds without having a shortstop already. So you know, like his ADP just gets pushed down because, you know, it, it feels like he should be 36 or 37 years old because he came up so young back when he moved Michael young off shortstop way back when, um, but, you know, the gist of the matter is, is that, you know, if you were if you purposefully wanted to wait on shortstop, uh, there is enough upside here yet that he could uh, that he could make that a viable strategy. So there's something there's something to be said for that. Speaking of, of, of upside, you have Willie Calhoun, who you and I talked about briefly pre-show. Age 25 season coming up in 2019, he hit 21 home runs, but he hit 290 against right-handed pitching with 14 home runs and just over 200 at bats um, for the year of 269, 323, 524 line, 83% contact, which you love to see a really high hard contact rate did get um, unlucky with Babbitt, but is somebody that isn't necessarily going to be the prototypical high Babbitt player. Anyways, good fly ball percentage, good, good power metrics, Somebody that's going in the top 175, I was a little bit shocked when I saw that initially, but the more I kind of dig into his hitting profile, the, the safer I feel with him being able to perform for a whole year. With that said, we haven't seen him in the major leagues for a full season yet. This would be the first year that he is really just kind of given a role and able to kind of run with it. Um, he's not, he's very limited defensively, so we could see an issue 
if something arises where he is needed to play in the outfield or whatever, like I'm mainly meaning risk of injury or whatever else. But by and large, I think that he is a quality hitter. Um, I, I've always felt this way. I've loved Calhoun for a number of years. I'm very high on him. The cost is a bit rich at 175, but at the same time, I, I love the player enough that I might have a few shares. So what do you think? Well, I think you're looking at a guy here who, you know, who has some decent uh, higher walk percentages as he was coming up through the minors. He's also uh, a guy who has had a pretty decent batting average for most of his time in the minor leagues. Uh, so you you think that that 270 batting average, basically, which he had last year, is something that's got some upside up into the 280s. Uh, 21 home runs in 83 games means that if he could cement uh, more regular playing time, you know, people can dream upon him hitting maybe 35 home runs, you know, 30, 35 home runs, and you're getting him outside of the 10th round at least. So, you know, while, while I understand you've got to sort of play your gut, to take him there. Uh, he's a, he's a guy that plays in a pretty good park to hit home runs in and, you know, plays in the American league, which helps some too, as far as counting stats and what have you, you know, but you project the numbers out last year and you've got a pretty solid outfielder across the board who gives you everything but speed. And so if you're doing well on speed and you get, you know, it past the 11th round or so, and, uh, and you like the chances that, uh, that our man here is going to uh, take a huge step forward. I say rolling the dice on this guy makes as much sense as any. I mean, Willie Calhoun's a guy who hasn't had the full full gig yet, so he's always sort of been looking over his shoulder. Seems like it's his. The Nomar Mazara trade opened stuff up for him. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of reasons to speculate here. And if he gives you just what he did last year, I don't think you're really facing that much downside you're still uh, getting a useful player. So I think he's a, a higher floor player than you would first realize. And I think his uh, his ceiling is quite high. So I, I like him uh, anywhere after sort of pick 160, 170, somewhere in there. Rugnado Dor is going outside of the top 20 second baseman going into 2020 drafts after yet another 30 home run and 11 stolen base season with a whopping 205 batting average. You and I discussed the second base position coming into this season, and Rugno Dor was somebody that I was very low on. I'm just pretty much done with him. I uh, don't want to rant and rave anymore about it. I'm um, I'm over his bullshit straight up. So <laughs> I don't know what your thoughts are on Odor. Um, he's going, like I said, outside the top 20 second baseman. That puts him – just outside of the top 200, I believe, um, 225. So I'm I'm not on board with Odor. I'm I'm done with his. Like I said, his shenanigans, his bullshit is really uh, starting to wear on me at this point. I I, I know he's going to hit home runs. And I know he's going to steal some bases because the Rangers that's their philosophy. But um, I'm just I'm kind of done, and I think his job is at risk. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like Nick Solak behind him. That's for sure. Um, he is sort of finally getting towards the end of this initial contract uh, that that he signed. So there's some uh, there's some reason for that. I mean, if you wanted to be the eternal optimist, you could say that 244 BABIP last year is uh, is below what his usual BABIPs have been. Uh, you know, and if he could get that BABIP up to 280 or so, and that gets his batting average up to 225 or 230, you know, that gets his OBP over 300. I mean, there's ways to uh, polish a turd here if you want to, uh, but at this point we probably know who he is, and you're taking a serious, 
serious floor gamble here because uh, in OBP leagues, 283 is hard to hide. And in batting average leagues, 205 is even harder to hide. So uh, I, I'm, I pretty much am in complete agreement with you. Yeah, baseball HQ has a bit of a different stance. I'm kind of reading what they, they wrote in the forecaster, which I already read before. And I thought in the back of my mind that they had some glowing remarks about him. but And they do. They think that he has the upside to hit 40 home runs. And based on his power metrics and his hard hit rate and everything, you could theoretically see that. If he were to hit 40 home runs, then I would hope that comes with a slight change in his uh, contact. But, you know, he hit 20 home runs in the second half or from July on in 2019 with a, a massive boost in hard contact and a massive boost in fly ball percentage as well with the power metrics to back it up. I think that that's what they're citing. And I, I get that. So, you know, hitting 20, 20 home runs and a half with some crazy underlying power metrics would lead one to believe that there is some better conditions coming for him. But I mean, we've seen this, this before. I mean, this is now five, six years of him hitting 30 home runs. I, I know that he can do that. Um, and when you look at a season at large in 2019, like it's not as bad as you would initially think 93 RBI 77 runs scored, but the 205 kills you and the 283 on base kills you as well. I just don't think that his contact skills are good enough to be able to sustain higher than a 30 to you know 32 home run projection, which is still good, might I add. And getting that in the you know, top 225 is understandable. I, I I mean, I would completely understand somebody taking the stolen base and, and power upside there outside of the top 200. But I mean, I'm just I'm done with this whole shenanigans with him. It's just it's an ongoing thing where he's just not consistent. You know, when you look at his months last year, you had the first half of the season, if you owned Rugnet Odor, you had to put up with an April where he hit 120. You had to put up with a May where he hit 172. And then he hit 231 in June. So if you did get to get him in July, great, because he had 264 with eight home runs. But in August, he screwed you again with a 144 batting average and three home runs. And then he killed it in September. So you're we're literally going to bank on two months of production from Odor in 2019 and hope that he can be more consistent in 2020. And I think that that's like really the problem that is, that is tied to Odor at large, which is that he is just not consistent and he's just so streaky that, yeah, when you look at the end of line numbers at the end of the season, sure. It's, it's something that you can kind of swallow, but I just don't want to deal with this shit anymore. I mean, maybe deep bench leagues, maybe is some angle we should take here. I mean, if you have a deeper bench, uh, weekly uh, lineup uh, settings, you know, stuff like that sort of helps because then you're, uh, you know, you probably, uh, you know, you can you can sit him for a week at a time and while he's while he's struggling and then maybe play him for a week at a time when he heats up. Uh, I don't know. I, he's not my he's not my type of player. That's for sure. I would say if you draft him, then you want to you want to make sure that he has a pretty decent start, because if he doesn't, then he is he's also a trade candidate. He's somebody that's liable to get benched. I mean, there's just all types of risk with him that's tied to him. I, I would I would hope and pray that he ends up having a hot start if you do draft him, because there is certainly a ton of possibility that his role could change. He could be moved all these different circumstances. So I'm done talking about Odor. I've talked about him enough. I'm probably like the. The, the head Rugnet Odor guy when it comes to, you know, shitting all over him, which I don't want to be um, because I've always loved him as a player. He's just really been frustrating to own the last couple of years. So um, let's talk about Nick Solak, who is going next among the Rangers um, eligible hitters. I believe it's in the top 250. I understand where he's it's in the top 280. I'm sorry. I understand where he's going and why he's uh, going there. I love Nick Solak. 
what's your thoughts before I get mine? I like Nick Solak. I just have this tendency to believe that most teams, like I, I think he needs help to get uh, to get regular at bats, and I don't love that. Uh, you know, I, I like his future a lot. Like if you can get him in dynasty formats or keeper formats, by the end of the year he could really be a bargain. Uh, you know, going forward. But I think you know when you go into a season and you need help, you need. Uh, you know, Ronald Guzman to play bad or you need, you know, not that these things aren't one of these things isn't likely to happen, but they're still probably going to try and and give these people some leash before he gets out on the field. So uh, depending on your format and what have you, you you've got to make a decision on if you're willing to uh, wait it out because he might not get regular at bats until mid-May or late May. So uh, if you're willing to do that, I mean, I love he's got above average sprint speed. Uh, You know, he was very patient at the plate for a rookie last year. I mean, there's a number of things you can point to to get excited about. You know, since he's a third baseman, that means he can probably play first, which, you know. But remember, too, I mean, we don't know exactly what their final roster is going to look like yet either. You know, they could end up with another corner somehow or another. Uh, So there's just enough variables going on that, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I like him. Um, and I'm certainly, if he gets ignored in one of my local leagues, I'm going to put him on the end of my bench and I'm going to say, hey, you know, let's see exactly how this all shakes out. Uh, but in these leagues where, you know, your top 300 picks or so are people you better hope are playing in the bigs for the vast majority of the year. Uh, I think there's a little extra danger there, and that's why I think it's a little depressed. I think his value actually goes up in uh, shallower formats because, you know, there you can go out and get somebody off the waiver wire and perhaps uh, replace him uh, if for some reason he gets sent down um, just because they don't have enough everyday at-bats for him or what have you. So there's 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 some danger here with uh, some very uh, intriguing upside. I've always been a fan of Solak, and he's been on three different teams now, which would make one to believe. It can be looked at as a good thing and a bad thing when you kind of dive into it. But, you know, with the Rays last year, he you know, with the Rays Triple uh, A Durham's club, he hit 17 home runs and had three stolen bases with solid plate skills, over 11 percent walk rate. His career walk rate in the minor leagues is over 11 percent. He's been able to keep the strikeouts at bay. He's somebody that has always been above league average in WRC plus and in weighted on base average. He does hit the ball on the ground and he has a tendency to do that. So the fact that he hit 32 home runs between three levels last year, not three levels, but two triple A clubs and the Rangers in 2019 would lead you to believe that he is a 30 home run bat. I wouldn't necessarily believe that right now. And especially when you look at his 53% ground ball rate in 116 at bats in the majors, I think it's fair to believe that he's not going to be somebody that in a full season in 2020 would hit 30 home runs, but I'm not buying him for that. I'm buying him because he's versatile. I think he's going to get on the field. I think he's somebody that can hit 20 to 25 home runs this year, given a full season of at bats. He has solid plate skills. He's polished. 
He's somebody that I think is just going to be a five category contributor in multiple ways. Now the sprint speed, I, I worry about that a little bit when it comes to the stolen base totals, because while Texas does like to run, I don't know how much of a green light he's going to be given, but by and large, I definitely will have multiple Solak shares because I do think he's going to find a way into playing time this year. And you you draft skills, not roles. He's somebody that I believe in uh, wholeheartedly at this point. And I think that he's going to have not necessarily a year, a breakout year for him isn't a 30 home run and 20 stolen base season with a, a high batting average. A breakout this year would, would include 20 home runs, like 280 batting average, maybe 10 to 15 stolen bases, and you know, pretty decent counting stats to go with it. And I think that that is well within the range of outcomes for this year. I, I, I certainly wouldn't be stunned. I mean, that's why I said he's got such intriguing upside. I just have this, I'm a little risk averse when it comes to players that should get playing time. Um, because there's times where, you know, I mean, how many times have we been on Twitter as baseball nuts and nerds and seen, you know, free David Dahl or, uh, you know, free this player, free that player. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, sometimes major league teams are too patient with their players that are in front of these prospects. And that's the concern. Uh, I don't blame you for your stance and, a month into the season, you could be glowingly right, and I could be tipping my cap to you, and I'll be like, hey, you know, that made sense that that could easily happen. Maybe I should have been more aggressive on him. But when he's taken around players that I think have roles that I, that have close to as much upside, that's when I say to myself, huh, is this is this the right risk to be taking? I mean, if it turns out to be the right risk, there's a lot more upside than Madrigal and a lot of these other guys that you see later in the draft that people seem to think are are going to be great. I mean, we have some of the proof in the pudding here with Solak. So uh, I certainly understand your stance. I'm just a little more tepid uh, than you are. All right, let's uh, try and speed this up a little bit. We have Shinsu Chu, very consistent, somebody that you can grab just uh, just ahead of Nick Solak and probably feel pretty confident that he's going to hit 20 plus home runs, have good counting stats. He's great against right hand pitching. Do you have any other thoughts on Chu? Nope. He is what he is at this point. I mean, last year he stole 15 bases out of nowhere. Um, I don't think that happens again, but neither do I. But even if he gets six, seven, eight, where you can get him in drafts, I mean, and as as consistent as he's been with OBP until he hits a cliff, I mean, he is what he is. I mean, he's nice outfield fill. Uh, thank, thank God he's not just DH eligible because uh, he can really help you at the end of a draft. Uh, Derek Barton, a.k.a. Ronald Guzman, is being taken somewhere. I don't really care where. Um, probably a non-relevant fantasy entity to you, right? Absolutely. I had some belief in him going into last year. Um, last year was pretty much a disaster. Uh, their catching situation is Wellington Castillo and Robinson Chirinos. How do you think that plays out? Uh, I always have a hard time gauging catchers. Uh, sometimes they seem to uh, have this late career renaissance, and then they seem to have this sudden cliff. Uh, I think ideally Wellington Castillo would at least split the gig and give us, you know, two options in two catcher leagues. We know Chirinos can hit. He's been very consistent. He's not a good defensive catcher. Uh, Castillo's not a great defensive catcher, catcher either, but he's a little bit better. So uh, it's just sort of a, a matter of how it goes. I mean, either one of those guys, if they're hitting well enough, could uh, sneak some DH uh, ABs uh, out of nowhere. But Castillo really needs to bounce back. People were high on him a couple of years ago, and he was pretty dreadful last year. 
Yeah, the well, Castillo, I think that this is going to be a headache for fantasy owners to navigate through. And I Torinos is definitely better defensively than Castillo is, especially from a framing standpoint, although that won't matter here in the next couple of years when they you know move to the electronic umps and everything. But um, I think that that's going to be a headache for any fancy owners, especially in AL only where you're trying to fill two catchers. It's going to be kind of a headache where they both split uh, hairs. I would probably favor Torinos slightly. In the, the in the possibility that he ends up getting you know seventy percent of the the plate time, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you right now <laughs> based on the fact that we haven't seen any spring training, we don't know where they're gonna be filling roles. But I will say this: that Castillo has been getting injured pretty consistently the last three to five years here, and I do think we probably see him get sidelined for a little bit. But I you know from a pure hitting perspective, I like Castillo more. I just think Torino's probably has the slight edge in playing time. Yeah, I mean, to, it, uh, oh, good. No, I I certainly can see that. I mean, catching defense is a difficult thing to track at times too, just because you have the framing, like you mentioned, you have the throwing out base dealers, you have the handling of the pitching staff. I mean, there's uh, variables that are hard to track. Uh, you know, it's just it's easy to remember back to a time where people were pretty excited about Castillo as a late game play at catcher. Um, and so, uh, and like you said, it, it could create a real headache uh, if they end up uh, close to splitting time because that would make them almost unownable in one catcher leagues. Todd Frazier was signed to this club. I do think he plays. I also think that he is an aging player. He was going, going to be hitting his th- age 34 season. We saw some skill decline in 2019, also a very steep hard contact decline. I we also saw some power metrics uh, drop as well. His plate skills are solid for his age, and I, I, I do think that he's going to be serviceable. By serviceable, I mean probably 20-ish home runs with a anywhere between 240 and 250 batting average, I would say. But that's really not special right now, and I don't know where what type of leagues you're really going to be looking forward to drafting him in outside of AL only. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be in a deep league for sure. I mean, he did manage 21 home runs last year. Uh, but there was a number number of uh, downturns in exactly how he played, and uh, and he missed key amounts of time. This is one of the worst signings of the offseason for me. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of uh, of signing aging players on a team that's relatively young. I'd rather have him just give the job to Solak, uh, but unfortunately that's not what's going to happen. So we'll have to live with it. If you're in dire need, you're going to use him as a corner. Um, if he ever ends up as your third baseman, it probably means your team's in a lot of trouble. Uh, that's, I think, a boost to Nick Solak, which he, his price might drop a little bit um, based on the top Frazier news. But I think that that's an even bigger buying opportunity for Solak because some people might think that he might not play. But I, I do believe that Solak is going to notch at least 500 plate appearances when it's all said and done. And you might be able to get a slight discount on that. Let's uh, move to the pitching. Corey Kluber was obviously traded over to the Rangers. Um, last season was pretty much derailed by a forearm issue. Prior to that, though, in 2018, we saw a 289 ERA, .99 whip. Um, somebody that was able to continue to have a nice ground ball tilt. The underlying metrics supported his ERA. Um, he, he outperformed slightly, but another strikeout per nine or strikeout per inning pretty much. Um, held his velocity at 92 miles an hour, 12% swing strike rate. I mean, just all things that are positive. He does hit his age 34 season. He's going to a worse ballpark for pitching. He's also somebody that we don't know how he's going to come back from injury quite yet. Um, so right now I'm kind of tentative on somebody like Corey Kluber. He's going in the top 
hundred. Um, so you do get the discount there. What's your uh, thoughts on Kluber for this season? To be honest with you, I don't think the discount is quite enough. Uh, you know, we we do have a 5.8 ERA staring us in the face from last year. Granted, it was in a little less than 40 innings. Uh, but this is the thing that I see in Kluber. Kluber was always the exception to the rule. You know, he was sort of this pinpoint control guy who didn't necessarily have as dominating a stuff as uh, a lot of the pitchers that he was performing as well as. And so uh, now that he's shown some chinks in the armor, you know, going into last year, a lot of people didn't like the underlying metrics that they saw with uh, with Kluber, which included, you know, sort of this shrinking, uh, this uh, shrinking K rate. Uh, also, just, you know, you can see his his uh, fit sort of flips from uh, being a low three guy to a guy that, you know, who's expected to be sort of closer to four. I mean, there's just enough here that I don't love it. I mean, I just think for a top 100 pick, I'm pretty risk adverse when it comes to pitchers. And since he pitched so little last year and pitched so poorly, and since we didn't see him pitch, it's like a reclamation project, but where you're trying to reclaim an ace, and I just think there's still enough upside on the board in the top 100 in pitchers and that I don't see this as the right kind of gamble to be making. It matters in how you like to draft. Uh, unless I get a bigger discount on him, I'm out. Yeah, I don't think I'm out. I'm, I'm tentative, but I'm not out. I, I do think that he still will be a solid starter when he's on the field. Now, he had, let's see, one, two, three, four, now three straight seasons of 200 innings pitched. Uh, four, no, he had five straight seasons of 200 innings pitched. So I don't think that we can expect another 200 plus innings in 2020. But say he goes 160, I think that you know start to start he will be among the top 20 starters when he is when he's actually on the field. My issue is you know obviously he is aging. It's there's a higher likelihood that we see him sidelined for a period of time. There's also a higher likelihood that we see some skills erosion, which you kind of uh, you know talked about for last year in 2019. But I think that he's much more of the pitcher that we saw in 2018 than we saw in 2019. He had multiple issues last year. He ended up getting you know kind of uh, sidelined not just by the the right ulna fracture, but also he had a left oblique strain. So like just multiple things wrong with Kluber. And he's somebody that's very robotic in how he does things. And I, I think that we have enough of a track record here that if he comes into the season healthy and we get reports on that, that we can feel fairly decent that he's going to be a top 30, 40 starter. And, you know, if he ends up going over that 160, 170 inning pitch benchmark, then that's actually, you know, really good for us. And I think something that we shouldn't expect, but um, yeah, I, I think, while I am tentative, I will be grabbing a couple shares of Kluber just on the sheer fact that he is one of the best starters in baseball. And if he can come into the lead, into the year healthy, despite being in a worse pitcher's park, he should be able to gain relatively solid value. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the key indicator will be in spring, watch and see how his control is doing. Because last year in his 35 innings, he walked almost four batters per nine. And Very that's not... Yet. Very unlike him. I mean, that was part of his pinpoint control was so good. So if his control really starts coming around towards the end of spring training, uh, I'll feel a little bit better. Uh, but, I mean, you're still – there's a lot of innings on that arm. Uh, his, his pro career, his MLB career got started late. So he's a little older than you might think at first. 
Uh, so uh, I think I like some of the younger upside picks around where Kluber is going. So if I could get him at like a 20, 25 pick discount off his ADP, then I'd be in a different world. But I'm not quite there. Uh, Mike Miner upped his changeup usage and got much higher whips on that pitch uh, in 2019. It resulted in a year where he had 200 innings pitched for the second time in his career, notched 200 strikeouts in that time. The underlying metrics said that his 3.59 ERA was a fluke. It should have been more in the four to four five area. He does have a fly ball tilt, which is risky when you talk about great American ballpark or not great American ballpark. I don't know why I said that, but um, either way, somebody that I think is pretty much turned a corner, but he is somebody that also I think has no trajectory but down coming into this season. You're not paying a hefty price just inside the top 200 at pick 180-ish. Um, so you're, you're really not paying for the upside that he showed last year, but you're also not really implementing the downside either. I think we easily could see a scenario where he just misses a ton of time like he has in the years prior. He Three straight years prior, he didn't even eclipse 160 innings. Now, if he ends up going 160 innings this year with some you know four-ish ERA, solid strikeout numbers, then I suppose that 177 pick is pretty solid. But I, I think just for me that Mike Miner has a downward trajectory going into this year. I don't think there's any way that he can surpass what he did in 2019. And he doesn't necessarily need to based on the draft cost, but I just don't want somebody that I feel is going to be going downward going into a year versus um, the possible upside of some of the guys around him. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, he's had a, an interesting career because, you know, he was a highly touted prospect with the Braves and then he had some big injuries you know, now he's a guy with a lower velocity, but a higher one of the highest spin fastballs in the game. Uh, but all the metrics didn't really uh, agree with everything that he did last year. Uh, he's been so topsy-turvy in general, and he hasn't been durable for most of his career. A lot of teams, you know, because of him being a lefty, a lot of teams have used him as a uh, um, have used have used him as a reliever in the past, and he had to take deals. In, with teams that would give him a chance to start to get to this point. I mean, I'm rooting for him, uh, but at the same time, uh, the history of baseball tells us that his, his performance arc should be uh, on the way down, and it should be on the way down soon. And those strikeout numbers just don't offer enough upside to get real excited uh, about Mike Miner. Uh, if he's overlooked in drafts and he falls Beyond his ADP, you know, I can see him as sort of this uh, innings eater, sort of end game guy who hopefully can keep outperforming his peripherals. Uh, but he's certainly not somebody you need to jump to well above his ADP. Lance Lynn had a career resurgence last year, and a lot of that was based on him throwing the cutter more and just essentially scratching the sinker by and large, or he just dropped it and cut it in half the usage rate. Um, so that the Rangers messed with his pitch usage and they, it ended up being something that was a win for them. Um, when you look at Lance Lynn's 2019 overall, he surpassed 200 innings for the third time in his career, uh, was able to register solid skills across the board. Um, 3.9 expected ERA, 3.767 actual ERA, the one, two, two whip you could live without, but decent ground ball tilt. He did have some uh, fly ball and line drive issues, I would say, but the strikeouts were up. Um, the swing strike rate was up to support that his first pitch strike rate was up. So the, the Rangers pretty much told him, get ahead and counts, um, start simplifying your repertoire and just strike out guys and, you know, keep the ball on the ground as much as you can. And you, you'll have some success. I think that this is something that is possibly sustainable. I don't know if it's uh, something I'm going to buy 100 percent, 
But right now, he's somebody that is going at a fairly high draft cost in the top 130. I would say based on that, that I'm not willing to buy. But I do believe in Lance Lynn for the most part. I just think that he's more of a uh, back end, like 180-ish pick versus the 130 that he's currently going. Yeah, I mean, I'd say if you can get him around pick 150, to me, he's Mike Miner with strikeouts is really what he is. I mean, they're both 32-year-old pitchers. Uh, They both had some injury concerns. Uh, but that uh, strikeout rate being that much more, 246 and 202 innings, uh, is really nice. And, uh, you know, if you're going to walk people, that's why he walks too many guys. That's why his whip is always going to be less than stellar. But if you're going to walk people, you want to be able to strike people out, uh, which is something that he, he had going for him. I mean, there's... You know, there's different metrics on StatCast that compare him to pitchers like Walker Bueller and, you know, some of these top elite pitchers. So as far as him being similar in what he allows for batting, batted ball profile, you know, Jack Flaherty is is on that list as well. So there's there's enough here that I like. Um, I like Lynn a significant amount more than I like Miner because I, I love having those uh, strikeouts to fall back on uh, if he runs through. And remember, the thing that is downgrading Lynn the most with people is how poor his season was the year before last. And that was the year that he took his agent's advice and didn't sign until the season started and had no spring training and pitched pretty terrible. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure we can throw 2018 out. That's another thing I really like about Lance Lynn in comparison to Mike Miner. All right, let's uh, finish up the starting rotation. You have Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles. Both of them present different positives than that I would have thought initially. But um, Lyles, I kind of tweeted about multiple times last year and even wrote about a time or two because I was impressed with his pitch mix change and his ability to kind of reinvent himself. Um, Kyle Gibson is going about 340 in drafts. And I think that based on what he's done the last few years, that that's well worth the price. I know it's, you know, Justin Mason's guy and everything, but I like what Gibson has to offer the rotation for Texas. And I also like that he's able to offer just a little bit of upside for us late in drafts, but also show us time and time again, why he is not somebody that will always put it all together or will ever put it all together. I'm sorry. So um, Gibson and Lyles, both are, you know, top 400 ish picks um, with Kyle Gibson going about 50 picks ahead of him. Do you like any either of them for any reason, or are you just kind of off? I'm com- I'm completely out on Gibson. He's got such a bad fastball. I mean, it's not a good spin fastball. It's a bad velocity fastball. Um, I- I'm completely and utterly out on Gibson. Um, uh, you know, I think the ship is ship has sailed. I mean, I just don't see any upside with that bad fastball. Whereas I, I feel completely different about Lyles. I would take Lyles at 50 picks at the 50 picks in front. But a lot of that is because I'm a Brewer fan and Lyles was amazingly good and amazingly consistent uh, down the stretch last year. And I think uh, Jordan Lyles was uh, was one of my favorite buys of the offseason. What Texas invested in Jordan Lyles uh, made me very angry at the Brewers for not investing the same thing. So I'm a big believer in Lyles and I'm done with Gibson. Gotcha. Um, I'm actually in on both, so we'll just move on. Uh, the rest of the bench for the offense is Jeff Mathis, Sam Travis, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who I actually kind of liked last year as a second catcher, but he was he was awful. Um, the closing situation right now is Jose LeClerc. Do you have any other options behind him that you kind of like coming into the 2019 or 2020 if um, LeClerc was to go down? 
It's uh, it's not overly pretty, that's for sure. Um, you know, they have had some depth in the years past, but uh, as of right now, you know, I'm seeing a, a you know, that Rafael Montero, I guess, is sort of on his way up. Jesse Chavez would be a completely unexciting pick. So, you know, I, I don't think their bullpen, I don't think their bullpen is very inspiring right now. Uh, I, I think Leclerc gets uh, extra leash because. If they were to move up their setup guy, then you pretty much are going to have everybody out of the right roles thereafter. Uh, so it just doesn't look on paper like they have the depth that I like to uh, be taking as sort of backup closers. Yeah, that was something that I would definitely kind of monitor as the season goes on. All in all, I think that LeClerc has one of the safer jobs, at least for now. I know he's a rag. He has, you know, wildness issues and being able to uh, stay in the zone, but just inside the top 160 area. I think that that's well worth the price. So we've already gone too long, Chuck. Why don't you let everybody know where they can reach you and what you're working on? I can be reached at just chucking it on Twitter. Um, I've been updating my preseason rankings uh, diligently and uh, me and uh, Andrew Dewhurst, a combination of Andrew Dewhurst and Mike Werner, my friend here, have uh, been covering all the different positions, and we'll have a starting pitcher preview out as soon as we uh, get done with these team previews. You can reach me on Twitter at Mike Werner FWFB. The FWFB draft guide will be coming out shortly. Also, make sure that you uh, tune into the Prospect Minute with Justin and Matt following this episode. Um, Maximo Acosta is my boy, so long live the king. And uh, yeah, so just make sure you check out the draft guide coming up and also check out the rest of the team previews. We've been banging those out. Um, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening and good luck in your drafts.